Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. With me tonight is Luca. Luca, welcome back on the air. How are you doing tonight? Oh, it has been far too long. I am so happy to be back. And um, yeah, feels good. Feels good to be behind the mic finally. Yeah. And, you know, if Luca, if you could let me have the floor for a second, I would like to explain something. So, when we started this podcast, Luca and I, and we talked about this on the first episode, I'm not going to get too into that, but you know, we had a lot of things that were important to us. One, we just talked about the bills a lot and we were like, Hey, what we do every day in our little bills chat on discord is basically could be a podcast for fans like us who just have the bills on the mind all the time. But the other thing about Luca and myself is we both listen to podcasts and we do so and we have high expectations for those podcasts. And one thing that Luca and I really thought about when we first came up with this podcast was it's very important that we have a schedule that we're reliable. We stick to that schedule because the podcasts we listen to, we know that when I go to the gym on Friday, I know exactly what podcast I'm going to queue up. It drops every Friday morning. I'm excited to listen to it. Boom. You you guys out there listening probably have the same things you do with your own podcast. So it was very important for Luca and I that the podcast had it every week. You could count on it. You know, Even as our audience is growing, it's not where we want it to be yet, but obviously we're hoping it grows. Um, we want it to be reliable that every Wednesday you wake up and another episode of Bill's Chat is there. That's super important to us. And just a little peek behind the curtain. A few episodes back, uh, we actually had to pre-record a couple episodes. Uh, the one was Stokes, and then our first edition of the um, the Rivals Watch that we did the NFC North, because it happened that my family vacation butted up against Luca being out of town for a wedding, and we were just not going to be able to record for a couple weeks. So we put a couple in the hopper. It was really important for us to make sure we stayed on rhythm. I'm telling you all of that because. These last two weeks have been really tough on us because um, I'll get into why we haven't been recording. Um, but you know, as as guys who want this podcast to be really good, we have high expectations for ourselves and high expectations for this podcast. Um, to not be reliable on that Tuesday, or I'm sorry, on that Wednesday, was just a tough pill for us to swallow. And then back to back weeks, it was just really tough. And I can just promise you going forward that. You know, as we get better at this, as we get more experience at this, one thing that's not going to change is our commitment to that Wednesday morning drop. Like that is priority number one for us when it comes to this podcast is that it's there, it's reliable, you can count on it. So why has it not been there the last two weeks? Well, you might be able to hear it a little bit in my voice. I apologize about that. But for the last two weeks, guys, I have been dealing with a really, really, really bad case of bronchitis. Now, I'm going to get a little bit into the weeds here. I don't mind sharing personal stuff with you guys because when I listen to radio shows like Show Open the Bulldog, I listen to podcasts like Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You know, Matt Perino will bring his daughter on the podcast every now and again and just let her wave to the camera. Like, I like feeling like I have a personal connection to the people that I listen to. So I don't mind oversharing at times. I will warn you like this, this story I'm going to tell you is going to sound a little cryptic. And I will just tell you right off the bat, there is a happy ending. There is nothing wrong with me. There's no terminal illness, anything like that. I promise you. But two weeks ago, we were getting ready to record. I had just gotten back from vacation. Luca's messaging me like, I can't wait to record. I can't wait to record. It's been too long. And I'm like, dude, I I don't know how to tell you this, but like, I have been dealing with this cough. I'm coughing nonstop. My voice isn't here. I don't think I can record tonight. 
And the cough just did not go away and it got worse and worse. And days went by. I got to the doctor and they put me on a steroid. They put me on an inhaler. They put me on a Z-pack. And normally when I deal with coughs like that, that combination just knocks it right out of me. And it did not knock it out of me. And over the weekend, week number one into the weekend, I ended up in urgent care on Friday night. And then I ended up in the emergency room actually on the 4th of July because I was having some really bad pain in my lungs. I'm going to reiterate, nothing is wrong with me. My x-rays came back clean. I am good to go. But it was just, I had never dealt with it. And I think this is going around right now where extended bronchitis is going on. I have somebody I work with that dealt with it for nine weeks. Um, And yeah, so like even into the second week, I was still like working from home, on meetings with coworkers and I would just have to mute myself and like type in the chat. Hey guys, I'm not going to be much good on this meeting. I'm coughing nonstop. I'm good. I haven't taken cough medicine in five days. I feel like myself, my voice is maybe a little bit, um, abnormal tonight. I think a lot of that, like I was telling Luca is more to do with the fact that I really legitimately went about two weeks without talking unless I had to. And it's almost like an exercise routine where you can run three miles a day, three miles a day, but you take two weeks off. You're not going to be able to just go back out there and run three miles at the same pace you normally did. Talking has become like an exercise I have to build myself back up to. So we'll get through it together. I wanted to share that with you guys. Our plan is to be here every Wednesday for you. If for some reason we're not going to be the only other week we did miss, was the week that the shootings did happen in Buffalo. We just didn't feel right putting out an entertainment football episode that week with everything going on in the community. But it is priority number one for us as two guys who take this podcast very seriously, take your enjoyment of this podcast very seriously, and very, very much take your ability to rely on this podcast dropping every Wednesday very seriously, that it'll be here every Wednesday barring a situation where one of us can't talk for two weeks. So Luca, I just said a lot. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to it. I do appreciate your flexibility as you were checking in on me almost daily, sometimes hourly. How are you doing? How are you doing? Um, Puts you in a tough spot because you were ready to go, but your partner just couldn't talk. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to this little uh, why we were gone speech. No, it was, it was definitely a tough circumstance. And I, I, I think you hit it spot on too with making sure that everyone understands that we would love or we want to do nothing more than hit this weekly deadline of Wednesday morning podcast is out and let everyone enjoy what we have to say about things and, you know, do what, do what they may with it. But, um, on top of it all, there was the one week, I don't know if it was, I want to say it wasn't the first week. It was last week where, um, just between kind of being anxious about wanting to record and things like that. I remember even messaging you thinking I was trying to game plan how I could even run, say this episode solo, just because, you know, trying to get the show must go on kind of attitude. Um, and what I will say is this is our show. And I remember just kind of game planning what could possibly happen for me to run it myself. I did ask one of my good friends uh, if they would be able to, because I knew he would maybe be able to like pre-record, do a little bit of research. He didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, Things like that. And then, you know, just overall, I just was like, this is our thing. I know you had done a lot of research. We had talked about that. You know, you, 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 you with your, you know, deep dive into any team and football in general, can sometimes be unprecedented on anyone else that we know of, at least at a personal level. So I just didn't feel comfortable 
uh, running this episode solo, letting it go by. I feel like there was almost a disappointment if I were to even do something such as that. But um, yeah, I mean, look, life things happen. And I, I was fully understanding of that. And, you know, as much as I wanted to get behind the mic, you know, we're not trying to sit behind the mic here as you're just, you know, coughing up a lung just to get a sentence or two out. And it's, it just didn't make sense. So it's probably the worst kind of thing to have happen when you're trying to rely on your voice to do something, of course, but life happens. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not a great thing what happens, but I'm glad to hear you're doing better. I'm glad to hear, you know, glad to see that everything's back in order and we're ready to roll and get this one going and talk about some, uh, some more NFL football here. I think you hit it too, is the nature of this episode is what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do our second edition of Rivals Watch. The last time we were on the air, we did episode one of Rivals Watch, where we broke down the NFC North. And this is just a research heavy episode. I think if if this were, say, the regular season and the Bills were gearing up for a week two matchup with Tennessee and I had a death in the family, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. We could easily just call Stokes up and say, Stokes, can you tag in for this episode? Like, during the regular season, a lot of the conversation is going to write itself. This, These episodes, because we're kind of going outside of our comfort zone, we're deep diving into teams that we don't follow on a daily basis, that would be a tough ask at 3 o'clock on an afternoon when we're going to record at 8 o'clock that night. Hey, Stokes, can you hop in? And I know you reached out to Nino. Um, Stokes will be back on the podcast he, he, you know, he'll be around for some roundtable discussions when we have them. He'll be there to be our backup sixth man anytime we need somebody to fill in. He did a great job. But this was just not the right episode to bring somebody in on short notice. But we are going to get into the um, the second edition of Rivals Watch tonight. And I'm excited about this one because the group of teams we're going to talk about tonight are the group of teams that we are playing because of the fact that we finished, or we, the Buffalo Bills finished first place in the AFC East. So this is the first place schedule opponents, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs, the Tennessee Titans, and the LA Rams. I am excited to get into all three of these teams, but Luca, let's first just hit on a couple of Bills notes here because there are some things to talk about um, this week. Uh, and I, we're going to hit on it quickly. This is I want this episode to focus on the opponents we're going to have. I'm just going to read off a couple things. If there's anything you want to say on it, great. But then we can just move on. Uh, Von Miller did an interview with Sports Illustrated this week, and he let it be known that he would have preferred to go to Dallas if the money was even. I don't think anybody should be shocked by that. I don't think anybody should be offended by that. Von Miller grew up as a Dallas Cowboys fan. He's from Texas. He went to college in Texas. Um, this is just one of those, just because we're Bills fans doesn't mean everybody else is Bills fans. I'm okay with the fact that Von Miller admitted he would have preferred to go to Dallas, but they didn't have the money. Luca, I didn't even really see any uproar from Bills Mafia on that. It feels like everybody was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no surprise. I mean, it's it's someone with their childhood team, and to no surprise, he would have loved to play there if it was equal pay to Buffalo. Why? Why wouldn't you? I, I, there's no, no rhyme or reason to be upset about it. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really read much into it myself. I didn't see much, you know, turmoil on Twitter or anything like that. It's it just kind of almost expected. It would have been weird to, if he would have dis, 
you know, discredited any link to Dallas or was not really thinking about going to Dallas or anything like saying that he wouldn't have done it. You know, he wanted to be in Buffalo and it's like, that would have been just kind of like almost worse to me than if it was just what it actually is. And it's like, Hey, if the money were, if it was just team for team, where would I rather play? I'd rather play for Dallas. That's my, that's my childhood team. That's, you know, who I've always dreamt to be playing with things like that. It's like, yeah, no, no shit. Like I would love to play for the Buffalo Sabres, but you know, shit doesn't work that way sometimes but um yeah i mean it's no no surprise no uproar i have no problems with it you know he's a buffalo bill that's all that matters yeah and you know it reminds me of a situation because you're right it would have come off as disingenuous i remember um distinctly after the 2013 draft this is the year that the bills got ej Manuel. they got robert woods um but in undrafted free agency they picked up a wide receiver named derrick rogers that's going to be a name that rings a bell with a lot of bills fans Derek Rogers was a guy that many draft Knicks had going in the back end of the first round, the second round, the third round. He went undrafted for off-field character issues. And um, in his first press conference with the media, they were like, hey, you must be pretty disappointed that, you know, you were projected to go early in the draft, so-and-so, and then you ended up going undrafted. You know, where were you kind of hoping to go in the draft? And he's like, oh, this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Buffalo. And they're like, are you hoping the Bills, like, you're, what round were you hoping to get drafted? He's like, no, 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 I wanted to go undrafted and pick my spot. And it's like, dude, nobody believes that. Like, the, the paycheck difference between a second-round pick and an undrafted free agent and the chance to make a roster. So good on Von Miller for being honest. I think we could use a lot more honesty and transparency out of our athletes as, um, you know, they live in a fishbowl world. We're able to kind of keep tabs on them at all times. All right, Luca, this caught me by surprise today. Did you know we are 11 days away from the bill's first training camp practice? It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just training camp, but it still feels great. We're it's light at the end of the tunnel here. Yes. And that light is coming quick. Like I am still kind of, I am not a big baseball fan by any means. Generally when the draft winds down and then, you know, you get, you kind of off that high from the draft. I don't want to say I put football in a corner, particularly now that Luca and I are producing content for this, for this podcast, but football does kind of go to the back of the mind. There's not a whole lot that goes on in that June, July timeframe. And then July just sneaks up on you. And because the bills are playing that opener, they open camp a little earlier than even the other teams outside of the Rams. And one month from today, today that you're hearing this is July 13th, Wednesday, July 13th, one month from today, August 13th at Highmark Stadium, the Bills take the field, kind of, against the Indianapolis Colts in preseason game number one. One month from today, Luca, that does not seem right. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Although I know, I think we've discussed it on the pod, but I know I've discussed it with you and definitely Nino and others. I don't watch a lick of preseason football. It just almost breaks my heart to watch subpar quality, but it's still very exciting. I'm glad it's finally here because, again, as I just said, it's light at the end of the tunnel because next thing you know, it's September 8th, I believe it is, and we are kicking off the actual football season. September 8th against the Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. That is where the Bills begin their 2022 campaign. And that is where Luca and I are going to begin tonight with our Rivals Watch series as we are going to start with week number one, our first opponent of the year. I keep saying our. I know some people get triggered by saying our and we. If I slip into it, I'm sorry. I'm a Bills fan. I root for the Bills. I'm not going to pretend to be neutral on this. I try to be objective with my observations. I hope that comes through in things I say, but I definitely root for this team. 
The Bills take on the Los Angeles Rams. We've talked about this game. It's a big honor to be in this game. It is the opening game for the entire league under the lights of NBC. Um, It'll be Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth on the call. Now, Luca, before we get into the Rams, let's just talk about these teams as a whole. Because diving into these teams, I feel like I was surprised by how similar they were. And I was surprised by how dissimilar they were in other ways in their approach this offseason. One thing I noticed is they all were 12 and 5 last year. But in the case of the Rams, their 12 and 5 was good for the fourth seed in the NFC. In the case of a team we're going to talk about later, they were 12 and 5 and they were the number one seed in their conference. So not all 12 and 5s are created equal. As far as the Rams go, Obviously, they won the Super Bowl last year. That's where the Bills wanted to be. That's where a lot of Bills fans think they should have been. And it's, you know, that opening game, if the Bills go out there and demolish the Rams, could be a little bittersweet because a lot of people think that had the Bills closed out that 13 seconds, there's the required mention of that game for this week, um, that they would have been on the fast track to be in the Super Bowl against the Rams. They obviously still would have had to get through the Bengals. Not going to disrespect the Bengals. On their way to the Super Bowl, the Rams had the ninth-rated offense in the league, 21st total defense. Their head coach is Sean McVay. He has been there for five years since 2017. He has an ultra-impressive record of 55 and 26. Their general manager is Les Snead. He's been there for 10 years since 2012. Just some coaching notes this offseason. They did lose their offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell. He went to become the Minnesota Vikings head coach. They promoted their assistant quarterback coach, Liam Cohen, to offensive coordinator. And Raheem Morris, who was their defensive coordinator hired last year, is back in the saddle in that same position. Under Sean McVay, they have made the playoffs four out of the last five years. They've won division championships twice last year and in 2018. They've been to the Super Bowl twice. Obviously, they won it last year. They were there and lost to the Patriots in 2018. So this team has experienced consistent success since Sean McVay took over for Jeff Fisher. And to me, Luca, the conversation on this team starts with the quarterback because they made an aggressive, aggressive move to acquire Matthew Stafford last offseason. And boy, did it pay off as he had an MVP quality season in 2021 and obviously took this team to the Super Bowl. Now, he has his ups and downs as a player. We can get into that once we get under the hood of this team. Um, And then we're just going to get into some quick offseason stuff, and then I'll kick it over to you. Um, There were some rumblings that Aaron Donald was considering retiring. That did not happen. They did extend his contract. They also kept Joseph Noteboom, which was an important keep for them because their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, retired, and Noteboom has been a solid, solid depth piece for them, and he looks to be the new left tackle on that ultra-important position in the Sean McVay offense. They brought in Allen Robinson from the Chicago Bears, an underrated receiver. I think I'm higher on him than Luca is. I think that's going to be a great fit for that wide receiver room. They signed Bobby Wagner from the Seattle Seahawks. But where they gained, they also had some serious, serious losses. They lost Von Miller. We all know where he went. We talked about that at nauseum. But Luca, one loss they had was Darius Williams, the cornerback. And he, to me, was just a steady Eddie on defense opposite Jalen Ramsey. You knew he was going to get a ton of looks on that side of the field. And he has been a solid, solid piece for them. He ended up going to Jacksonville. They lost Austin Corbett, the guard who'd started every game for them since 2020, including postseason. 
They lost Odell Beckham Jr., who I guess still could come back. He's a free agent, but he is coming off the injury he suffered in the Super Bowl. They traded Robert Woods to Tennessee, and Sony Michelle went to Miami. Now, we're going to get into their roster building philosophy and all that, but I just gave a little bit of a Rams overview. Luca, this is a team you're very familiar with, both as a NFL fan and also as a Cardinal fan. Uh, what are your high-level opinions of the Rams? Did you also mention, by the way, uh, did you mention Whitworth retiring? And, yes. And, okay. I, I was sorry. I was zoning out for a bit. And then you mentioned Hecker also being released, right? Oh, I did not mention Hecker being released. Yeah, Who's their punter now? I have no idea. I, <laughs> I don't know. So Hecker is probably one of the few noteworthy punters. And then when they released him, it was like slightly eyebrow raising. Um, yeah, it's the Rams are. This is how I look at the Rams going into this year. For instance, the Rams are going to probably repeat as division champs. It's a, it's an interesting circumstance. And I'm just going to talk about the Rams for a little bit. They're probably going to repeat as division champs. One, because as someone that likes to follow the Cardinals a little closer than most, they are, I don't know how you can trust that regime and and everything going on with there with Kyler and uh, everything. I just I don't want to get into the Cardinals right now. It's just it's interesting. Um, I don't trust them at all. I can't trust them as much as I can throw them. And as small as the quarterback is, I don't know how far that can be. Um, the 49ers are probably one of the better rosters when you take away quarterback, but then all of a sudden you put quarterback in there and it's going to be Trey Lance. So when you couldn't even trust your quarterback to throw more than 10 to 12 times a game, probably going to be difficult to win too too many games. And then the Seahawks are just going to be, they're going to give those bears a run for the money on being the worst team. It'll be interesting. You have enough talent there. It's just then you have Drew Locke or Geno Smith running the offense. So, you know, it'll be so nice to watch the Seahawks not be good. But regardless, the Rams are the same team kind of running it back. Uh, you mentioned they traded Robert Woods. You bring in an Allen Robinson. As you said, you're probably higher on Allen Robinson than I. I think a lot of people are more with how you feel about Allen Robinson than myself. Um. I, I just haven't seen Allen Robinson really ever do anything. I know Chicago was never a great circumstance for him, but even in Jacksonville, he had, you know, one or two years where he definitely showed maybe something, but beyond that, it's like, eh, I don't care. I think him for Robert Woods, it's similar like for like. And as long as, you know, Robert Woods, unfortunately got that injury last year, as long as Allen Robinson isn't hurt, it's definitely an improvement to the offense compared to what we saw in that Super Bowl run. So it's definitely a plus for them. Uh, Bobby Wagner, I think, is actually going to be huge for their defense. The one thing that I thought the Rams always needed um, was kind of that 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 classic pro linebacker. They they always have like the smaller linebackers, or they have essentially just like almost outside linebackers playing Mike and things like that. Like they never had a true just Mike sitting in the middle of the defense to actually not necessarily run the defense, but to be able to help clog up the middle and help understand and read the line of scrimmage from be, you know, from that position. And they never really had that. And for instance, the Cardinals would be able to gash them up the middle because they would finally be able to get the mismatches blocking on the line. And then Darren Donald would become less effective because they didn't have that linebacker that could also read what was going on in front of him. So I think Bobby Wagner actually would be big for them. Um, but, I still, 
defending champion, winning the championship is hard. Defending the championship is even harder. I think that's kind of where the Rams might run into a problem. And I know you're going to probably dive into this more than I will. And we've had this discussion off air. When you really look under the hood of the Rams, they are top heavy. They're very top heavy. They have studs. I mean, they have probably the defensive. They have the best defensive player in the league, probably the best player in the league in Aaron Donald. He's now very well motivated with the amount of money they just put in his pocket. You have Jalen Ramsey, um, obviously just a top tier corner as much as it pains me to say, because I still don't think he's as good as he likes to say he is, but you know, whatever he, he he can tote about you know his five pro bowls and two or three all pros or whatever it was it's like patrick peterson was better in that same stretch go f yourself but um <laughs> things like that like they're very very good but then all of a sudden you get away from the Jalen ramsey the aaron donald the matt stafford we'll we'll call matt stafford you know somewhat elite i i love matt stafford i think he's a great addition i think he had a poor stretch in the last three four games of the season last year but luckily he got a nice uh boost once they got to throttle the cardinals and kind of set his feet in the playoff world and i think that really helped him um so once you go beyond those guys though like losing a von miller is gonna be probably more impactful than some rams fans might hope just because they don't really have that guy on the edge anymore. They have Leonard Floyd, I believe, still. But beyond that, like they really don't have something there. They're going to have a lot of plug options. They're going to try to just make it work by committee, things like that, which as Bills fans, we know it can do the job. It just might not get the job done in those key moments. And that really could be their downfall. Um, but overall, it's a good Rams team. I think they're going to benefit from kind of everyone around them in the division-wise kind of taking a step backwards. And then on top of it all, it's it's you're the defending champ. There's the expectation you're going to be good, but it's so much harder. You have a target on your back, naturally. You are the defending Super Bowl champ. You naturally have a target. Everyone wants to get at you. Everyone's going to play their best. There's a reason that the 04 and 05 Patriots are the last ones to repeat as Super Bowl champs. It's just very, very difficult to do. You got to be mentality monsters. You got to absolutely not listen to what's going on outside. And unfortunately, in the LA market, I think that's quite literally impossible to not listen to everyone outside. Like, it's just going to be there. It's going to happen. I'm sh- I would be surprised if they repeat. I know we're not trying to go too far ahead because I definitely want to hear your take on everything. But overall, it's a good team, a borderline great team. But there's there's two NFC teams right off the top of my head that I would say are better than them right out the gate. So that alone tells me that I don't view them as a you know Super Bowl contender beyond the fact that they just won it last season. Yeah, so you said a lot there, and I agree with almost everything outside of Allen Robinson not being as good. I definitely agree with the Bobby Wagner point, um, and I think it's also important that if you think about him in the same sense as like a Cornelius Bennett, um, the middle linebacker for the Rams has to not only be like a good player, which Bobby Wagner checks that box, you have to be a certain individual. You can't. It's going to be really tough to draft a rookie to go in and call a defense when he's in a huddle with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, maybe the two best players at their own position in the sport and two guys that'll almost assuredly wind up in Canton. Like you have to have a certain amount of cachet yourself. And Bobby Wagner certainly clears that hurdle by a lot. So I think that was a monstrous get for them. 
you mentioned that they are top heavy and boy, oh boy, is that almost an understatement. Matt Stafford, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald, their top four biggest cap hits account for 80 million against the cap in 2022. That's 38% of their salary cap space allotted to four players. By comparison, just for the sake of comparing, the Bills' top four cap hits, Trey White, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, and Deion Dawkins, account for $55 million, which is 27%. So 27% versus 38%. So they are top-heavy, and they don't have a lot of depth. And one concern you did mention is where is that pass rush going to come from? Because as much as we all love Aaron Donald, it is so much easier to double team an interior player than an edge player. Aaron Donald can wreck a game, but when you have a Von Miller on the edge, he took over that Tampa Bay game. And I just don't think that that is a club they have in their bag this year where their D-line is going to be able to take over a game when Matt Stafford's playing like he played, say, in the Minnesota game where he can't hit the broadside of a barn or like when their running game is playing like it was in Tampa where um, – what was it? Cam Akers averaged two yards a carry and Sony Michelle had one carry for four yards. Like when you need something else to carry your team, they don't have that other guy on defense that can do that. Bobby Wagner is great, but he's not going to rush your passer. So that to me, the top heaviness of this team, a lot of that was by design. So like they traded first round picks for Jalen Ramsey and Matt Stafford. They traded second and third round picks for Von Miller. They traded picks for Leonard Floyd. They traded a pick for Sony Michelle. And they have done this by design to bring in almost like if you're in a fantasy and you do a fantasy football and you do an auction, there's an approach called a stars and scrubs approach where you you make sure you bid up on a few really elite players and then you put dollar bids on and a few scrubs you like. The Rams have almost taken a stars and scrubs approach with their roster, which look, they got the last laugh in 2021. They won the Super Bowl. But the NFL is a very unforgiving league. Counting on health is a very scary proposition. And when four of your players account for almost 40% of your salary cap, you do not leave yourself a lot of wiggle room to overcome injuries and rely on depth. And you don't have those draft picks that you're developing because all your first and second round draft picks are on other teams developing at this point in time. So to me, the Rams, well, hey, they won a Super Bowl. I have not seen the Bills win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. And I feel like I would, at this point in my life, cut off my left arm to see that happen. To me, they are a house of cards that I think is not a sustainable model for success. I think, like you said, they're going to struggle to repeat this year. But what is that really saying? What Every team that wins a Super Bowl struggles to repeat because it is a hard championship to win. But I don't see the Rams as a team that's set up for a lot of long-term success because Outside of Cooper Cup, who I believe is still under 30, the other three guys I mentioned who are at the top end of their salary cap are either at 30 or on the other side of 30. They're definitely all on the back nine of their careers, and you don't really see those young studs on the Rams who are ready to vault into those future Rams great players. And that takes me to Sean McVay, Luca, because look, I don't pretend to be Adam Schefter. I don't pretend to have sources and organizations, but I have heard things. I think you may have even heard these things too, but I think it's even been public this off season, but McVay was very close to taking a broadcasting job a couple years back following the girly extension. 
I do not think Sean McVay is long for the Rams. He has won a Super Bowl. He's been to two Super Bowls. To me, he is a great coach in an organization that I think gets a lot of credit because they won a Super Bowl last year, but I don't think they make a lot of smart moves. I don't think Les Snead is a good general manager. I just don't. I think he's made a lot of blunders, and I think he got Sean McVay, and McVay had Matt Stafford, and it all came together last year. They won a Super Bowl. Great by them. I think the odds are better that Sean McVay is not the Rams coach in 2024 than it than he is the Rams coach in 2024. I'll just leave it at that. I don't really have any inside information on that other than I know he was very close to leaving a couple of years back. Um, and I think that he could probably just get a blank check for one of these broadcasting jobs. And when you talk about the future of Sunday Ticket and Amazon trying to buy games, and you look at the money that Tony Romo is making, you look at the money that Tom Brady's going to make post-retirement, I think a guy like Sean McVay, who already has a Super Bowl ring on his finger, he could probably live the rest of his life very happy and stress-free as a guy who has to work three hours a week traveling around calling NFL games, and he could make 10 to 11 figures a year doing that and be very, very happy. Um, do you get the same read on McVay that I do? Uh, yeah. I mean, when the reports were coming out or the rumblings were coming out that he was considering that broadcasting path and that, um, you know, essentially the money is there. Right. And that's kind of the whole thing. And it, and it was I feel like I feel like I would have been way more in in that thought if Aaron Donald really walked away, if if something like Aaron Donald was like, yeah, I'm good. I retired. Uh, I've achieved everything I want. And he walked away. I definitely think McVay would have been like, he would have probably run it back this year just because, and then been like, all right, I'm good. Like I'm done. And I, you said 2024, I would even be like 2023. He wouldn't be the Rams coach. Um, but yeah, I can still see it. It's kind of going to be, yeah. If someone hands him a blank check and say, this year doesn't go very smoothly. And then let's say next, you know, they're going to win the division. Like I said, most likely, maybe flame out by the divisional round. We'll say, say Tampa gets the revenge in the divisional round and they lose. Okay. They run it back one more time in 2023 because realistically they're not going to be able to do much because of where less need has put them as a GM. And it's kind of the same thing. Maybe even they lose in the wild card round that time or whatever may happen. Like you can kind of see the natural progression of downward progression starting to occur. He'll just be like, oh, this guy's also now or these guys are now handing me a blank check. You know, they're going to sign me to a eight year broadcast deal worth two hundred fifty million dollars. It's like, yeah, see you later. I'm going to take that. Thank you very much. I'm I'm done. Why wouldn't you? Why? I would not fault him or anyone for taking an opportunity such as that, because I would think realistically seeing what Tom Brady just got offered and he's still playing. It's not even a guaranteed thing yet that he's going to be done this year or even next year. And Fox already locked him up for what they did. Sean McVay is a great mind. I'm sure someone would love to have him on the broadcast. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I, I do think, I, I think he loves the game. He, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be returning if it wasn't for the fact that he loves this more than anything else. I do think, though, that there is kind of one of his eyes on the future already, just based on if those reports are as true as it seemed they were, which it really felt like they kind of, like it's they didn't come out of nowhere. Someone wasn't just throwing mud at the wall, hoping it stuck. 
Like it, that had to have stemmed from somewhere that had to have come from a conversation with someone with legitimate knowledge of the situation, you know, where, where there's smoke, there's fire, something was happening. It just turns out that he came back. He's still coaching. Aaron Donald came back. They're going to try to run it back and they're going to try to do the same thing. And, um, yeah, I'm with you on it. I'm with you on the McVay take kind of deal. 2024 is an interesting one. I would have, I would have even gone 2023 because it's either like 2023 or maybe he, if they actually do have like, say they go to right back to the Super Bowl this year, let's say that, or at, at least the NFC championship game, um, that might give him enough of an itch to keep going a couple more years. Like, I feel like the further you go into the playoffs, it almost buys you another year of wanting to do it. Like wild card is like, yeah, you definitely want to come back next year. You want to see what you got, try to improve the team divisionals like, okay, you know, we're, we're getting there. Let's see how it can go is probably two years. And then if you get to a conference championship game, that's where you're like, you really think you have something and hopefully the, you know, not to try to be something weird like this, but the flip of a coin doesn't screw you in the end or something <laughs> matter. And uh, yeah, yeah. But it, you're, that itch is there and you're probably going to be around for two, three more years now. Like, I feel like the further you go, the, you know, whatever. So if they start progressing down, 2024 might be a good benchmark. I think that was pretty spot on. Well, the other reason I like 2024 is when you just look at the build of this team, I feel like in a lot of ways, a lot of us were wrong about, we thought Belichick would ride off into the sunset with Brady. He wouldn't want to rebuild the organization after all the success he had with Brady. At the end of this season, Matt Stafford is going to be 35 years old. Cooper Cup is going to be 30. Jalen Ramsey is going to be 28, which isn't old by any means, but for a cornerback, that's certainly where you start seeing the tread on the tires and some of those explosion skills start to decline. And then Aaron Donald, I just had his age pulled up. He's going to be 32 next offseason. And then just for context, Bobby Wagner is going to be 33 next offseason. And without the first round picks that they've been missing in the second round picks, where is this influx of blue chip talent? I feel like the Rams, while they do have the Super Bowl window open and they did win the Super Bowl, to me, they are staring in the face of a massive, massive rebuild slash overhaul by about 2024. And, you know, you're going to have to find a new quarterback to replace Stafford. You're going to have to find some defensive studs to replace Ramsey and Donald. There's a lot of work to do. And I don't know if McVay is going to want to get his hands dirty and do it, or if he's going to be like, Hey, my name's hot right now. I'm Sean McVay. I'm going to go do broadcasting. Good luck Rams. Like that's the read I get on it. All right, Luca, before we finish up the Rams, we've hit on their elite players. We've hit on some of the players they've lost. There are some other interesting players on this team. One player of note, Cam Akers, two years ago, looked like a future superstar running back in the league. And unfortunately, he had that Achilles injury that just has not proven to have many running backs, if any, come back from and regain their form. Last year, when he came back for the late season playoff run, he did not look like anything that his former self looked like. I would love to see him come back because I love the player and I love rooting for guys like that who, you know, should have gotten a second NFL contract and maybe injuries prevent that from happening. They drafted Kyron Williams in the late, late part of the draft. And you'll notice Luca and I are not talking about who they drafted this year because there's just nobody of note because they just kind of light their draft picks on fire. They still have Daryl Henderson, but I don't know, Luca, to me, we talked about Leonard Floyd. We talked about Bobby Wagner. Um, there's just not a lot of depth on this team. And to me, the biggest point is if the Rams stay healthy, if their stars stay healthy, 
they're going to be fine. But the other point I want to bring up is this Rams schedule is no joke. And I'm going to pull it up right now. Let's play a little, let's play a little game here. Um, as I pull it up here, I'm stalling. I don't know if you had a, had a chance to look at it yet, but I want you, I have it up right now to count on one hand, the number of easy games they have. Okay. And I'll just count on two hands. If you can get to two hands, I don't think you're going to get to two hands. Probably so I'm, I'm going to go through their schedule. They start off with the Buffalo bills. Then they host the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. They're at Arizona at the Niners home to the Cowboys. Then they come home and play Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. That's an easy game. Mm-hmm. Then they host the 49ers. Then they go to Tampa Bay. Then they host the Arizona Cardinals. Then they go to New Orleans. They go to Kansas City. They host Seattle. Probably pretty easy. Yeah. They host the Raiders. They go to Green Bay. They host Russell Wilson and the Broncos. They go to the Chargers before closing out week 17, week 18, and the Seahawks again. I have two Seahawks games, a Panthers game, and a Falcons game as easy games. The rest of them, to me, borderline flip of a coin. I'll I'll give borderline easy to on the road Niners. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it's just because when they're at home, they're going to have more Niners fans there than probably when they're at San Francisco or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I four with mine, five with an asterisk. It, it, the Niners will ultimately get hurt again, like they always do traditionally. I'm I'm not trying to turn this into shit on the Niners segment here, but Niners always get hurt. They have Trey Lance at quarterback. It won't be pretty, anyways. Um, yeah, that's a very tough schedule. A uh, very very tough schedule. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a gauntlet. It's it's no breaks. And the you know what really sucks is they get we used it was the Falcons right week two, Falcons yeah. 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 So you get one of those, unfortunately, week two. Like you would want some of those later in the season when injuries potentially are starting to come up and everything like that. Like, God forbid Van Jefferson gets hurt and all of a sudden you have to be playing Ben Skaronic regularly or whatever you're doing. It's it, And that's the problem that you have highlighted here with the Rams. It's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden one. I mean, just that right there, although they'd probably go two two at well if Van Jefferson was down. He's kind <laughs> of similar mold, but it, <laughs> Tutu Atwell, Ben Skoronek, like, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> so, yeah, to your point, with no breaks in the schedule, and, and no NFL game is a break. I mean, as Bills fans, we understand even a visit to the Jaguars can be a problem. Hey, did you know they had a player named Josh Allen, too? <laughs> Jeez. They only mentioned uh, it a hundred times that game. Yeah, no. So, um, every game in the NFL is difficult, but as we like to say there, there are easier ones than others. And as we just listed them out here, you have two divisional games against the Seahawks. You have the Panthers, which we will label that as an easy game. Was it at home or was it at Carolina? It's at home. Okay. So being at home, that's going to be probably tough for Carolina, but who knows? I mean, if enraged Baker Mayfield comes to play and puts on a season to behold, you never know. And if, if McCaffrey does not die for once in a season, like, hey, they could be something. It's it's the NFL, right? That's kind of where I'm getting at. It, no, no weeks off. And even on their schedule where you would want, you know, maybe four or five, six easy games, it's not going to happen for this Rams team. You're going to, they got to play the AFC West. <laughs> it, 
the AFC West is last year's NFC West. It's clearly the division that is from top to bottom stacked and it's no easy game. And unfortunately, they draw the short stick with also getting division winners everywhere else on top of it. So, yeah, I mean, when the Bills are coming to town as your extra game and then, you know, you have Tampa and stuff like that, you, hey, you're defending champs. Now you got to, this is yet another example or reason why defending that Super Bowl championship is so difficult. And, um, yeah, although I will say, just to plug it in there, I have them down currently as 11 and six and repeating as NFC West champs with that schedule. Yeah, I think I'm going to predict them to win their division. But as we mentioned before, with with their lack of depth and the age of some of their best players and how much money they have tied up in their four best players, this is a team that, you know, while we talk about the Bills are chasing the one seed, chasing the one seed, and I know they made it to the Super Bowl from the four seed last year, but realistically, you can't count on perfect health. This is a team that desperately would like to get that one seed. And when you look at that schedule, it's just hard for me to fathom that they would get the one seed when they're competing with a team like Green Bay, who has two games against the Lions, two games against the Bears. They play the Jets, they play the Patriots, they play the um, Dolphins. You know, like the, I just, it's hard for me to envision the Rams going on enough of a run against that schedule to get the one seed. So now you're talking about a team with a lack of depth, an early bye week, week seven, and a really hard schedule having to withstand that and probably play three playoff games instead of two to get back to the Super Bowl, all while counting on good health because they don't have a lot of depth. So wish them luck. They certainly have a shot to do it. And they won the Super Bowl last year, so it's hard to make fun of them. But Luca, let's move on from the Rams because in the football season, the Bills are going to go from L.A. and come back home and play the Tennessee Titans week two. Let's move on to the Tennessee Titans they were the AFC South champions last year. They were 12 and five, the number one seed in the AFC, but their playoff run did not last long. They lost in round two, their first game to the Cincinnati Bengals. And a lot of people thought that the Tennessee Titans were one of the softest one seeds we had seen in a while. And their rankings actually kind of bore that out as they had the 17th ranked offense and 12th ranked defense. Neither one of those sound like a one seed. Their head coach is Mike Vrabel. He has been there for four years. He's 41 and 24 as head coach. He has brought them to the playoffs three out of his four years as head coach. Their general manager is John Robinson. He's been there since 2017. He fired Mike Malarkey, former Bills coach, to bring in Mike Vrabel. Uh, the Titans have won the AFC South the last two seasons, um, but they have not won a playoff game the last two seasons. They've lost their first playoff game in Tennessee. Um, after winning the AFC South championship, they did make a big playoff run in 2019 as a wild card, um, ending Tom Brady's reign in New England, beating him in Foxborough, and then going to Baltimore and beating Lamar Jackson in his MVP year in round two before ultimately losing to the Chiefs in the AFC championship game. Their offseason has been interesting because while you look around the AFC and you see a lot of teams loading up for a big run, this is a team that I think lost more than they gained. The biggest loss by far is superstar wide receiver A.J. Brown traded to the Philadelphia Eagles to replace him. They almost replaced him directly with the asset they got for him with rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks. They lost Roger Saffold starting left guard. He is now a member of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Rashawn Evans, starting linebacker, never really amounted to be the player they thought they were going to get when they drafted him in 2018. 
Um, they have acquired some guys. They acquired Robert Woods from the aforementioned Rams. They got Austin Hooper to be their tight end that they hope can finally replace Jonu Smith because they didn't have a lot of success doing that last year. And then one big thing for them this offseason was they were able to re-sign Harold Landry, who has developed into one of the better young pass rushers in the league. In the draft, we mentioned they got Traylon Burks. Um, in the second round, they got Roger McCreary, who is a cornerback. You and I are both kind of lukewarm on, but they certainly needed cornerback help. And then in the third round, they got Nicholas Petit-Freer, who is a very nice developmental tackle before cleaning it up in the other third round pick with Malik Willis, a quarterback that a lot of people thought with his skill set could have snuck into the first round. So they do have a young quarterback in the pipeline to build behind Ryan Tannehill. And Luca, that's where I want to start the conversation tonight, though, is Ryan Tannehill, because Ryan Tannehill, when he came into the league in 2012 with the Miami Dolphins, was a very so-so quarterback. He had some ups and downs. In 2014, 2015, he went over 4,000 yards, had a good touchdown to interception ratio, but his QB rating was in the high 80s, low 90s. But when he came to Tennessee and replaced Marcus Mariota in 2019, he was a godsend for that offense. He played half the year in 2019, had a 22 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio and a 117.5 quarterback rating before leading them on playoff victories over Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson. They gave him a big contract. He backed it up in 2020 with 3,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 106.5 quarterback rating. And then that offseason, heading into 2021, they lost Arthur Smith. He became the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, and they promoted. I have his name in here somewhere. One second, please. Todd Downing to offensive coordinator. And the offense absolutely regressed. Now, they did have some injuries to deal with last year, um, but despite playing one more game last year, they actually scored less points overall than they did in 2021 versus 2020. The yards per play dropped by a full yard, which is astronomical in NFL terms, 6.2 yards per play in 2020 to 5.1 in 2021. They went from fourth in total points in 2020 to 15th in total points in 2021. And Ryan Tannehill went from having back-to-back 100-plus quarterback rating seasons to reverting back to very Miami Dolphin-esque numbers, 89.6 with a 29, or I'm sorry, a 21 to 14 touchdown to interception ratio. So I've kind of outlined what the Titans have done this offseason. I talked a lot about Ryan Tannehill, the kind of quarterback he is. And I guess I'll start the conversation there, Luca, because Ryan Tannehill has had some success against the Bills since moving to Tennessee. Is he a guy that scares you at quarterback at this point in the league, or is he more of a placeholder and they're just looking for the answer after he's done? Oh, there is zero, zero fear of Ryan Tannehill. I am... um. To give a little Bills perspective right out the gate, I'm very, very happy that this is an early season game because honestly, even a rookie Malik Willis later in the season would probably have me a little more fearful than early season Tannehill just because you don't know what you're getting maybe when Willis comes in. Now, the team might have already been kind of on the down and things aren't going well, so the overall, it's not like it'd be scary for the Bills, but Malik Willis, to me, has more talent and ability than Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is what I have always called fool's gold at quarterback. He's not 
like, I don't want to say Kirk Cousins because I don't want people to say he's just like Kirk Cousins, but in the sense of being just kind of, they're never bad enough for you to really want them out of your organization. But Ryan Tannehill's success is directly linked to the big guy that stands behind him every snap possible. And that is Derrick Henry. This offense runs through Derrick Henry. Everything in their success is Derrick Henry. And when Derrick Henry gets hurt, all of a sudden that quality of play that Ryan Tannehill provides when Derrick Henry is healthy plummets. And it is just, it doesn't work. You need an absolute king at running back or whatever the offense is focused around to be there and effective for the fool's goal that is Ryan Tannehill to also be effective. And it's, it's not to his fault. I mean, he is what he is. It's not like he tries to play out of his skin. It's just that is what he is. It's he'll never be anything more than that. And I, some people out there, I don't, I don't know how to say this. I, it kind of goes into a fantasy discussion. Some people out there every year of fantasy are always like, I am very okay with taking Ryan Tannehill and blah, 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 and stuff like that. I know this is fantasy discussion and not just real life play, but it's kind of got that similar sense to me where it's like Ryan Tannehill is going to do absolutely nothing for you. Even in fantasy, if Derrick Henry goes down and then you're screwed because you still probably had to take him at a place because the Titans, although what you just said, they were the 17th ranked offense, which is crazy. Although again, uh, Derrick Henry was down when Derrick Henry's fully healthy. They were the fourth ranked offense. It's like, as soon as Derrick Henry's not there, it, it it's unbelievable. And now you just got rid of his best receiver in AJ Brown. And then Julio was there, although barely played. It's, I almost felt like Julio was never playing in the first place for them. Um, and now he's going to have to rely on a rookie wide receiver essentially is his number one opposite of Robert Woods. However you want to chalk that up, that's up to you. Um, Robert Woods is coming off a pretty serious injury too. So who knows how effective he will be. Ryan Tannehill is regressing. It's just, that's where he is in his career. He will not be able to do anything for you to win games. I just think he's a good enough quarterback where he won't lose you a game either. And you better hope to God King Henry is alive. If you're a Titans fan, because if King Henry is not in that backfield for you, 90% of the snaps every game, you're probably never going to be able to do anything on offense and you are not going to win a lot of football games. And last year on the Monday night game in the first half, the Bills had a lot of success shutting down the Titans outside of the one long Derrick Henry run. And then it was the second half that they went to the play action and then it was Julio wide open and AJ Brown wide open. And it was like, man, this offense, when they get humming, they can be a real problem. And now Julio, you mentioned Julio was a bad culture fit. Um, It it sounds like he just kind of wants to do his own thing. Maybe has a little bit of a superstar diva mentality. doesn't necessarily want to practice at all. Just show up for the games. That's not going to fly on a Mike Vrabel team. Um, And then the AJ Brown move. I just, I can't get behind Luca. I love AJ Brown. I think he's an excellent receiver. I think AJ Brown is what you hope you get in the draft, like a second round pick used on a very good looking wide receiver prospect who blossoms into a borderline superstar. And then it comes time to pay him. And you're like, eh, you know what? We're going to let somebody else pay him. We've developed him into the superstar. We're going to let him go catch passes for somebody else. And we're going to draft somebody else that we hope one day can be as good as AJ Brown because we want to save money against the salary cap. And no offense to the Tennessee Titans. 
This is not the Rams we're talking about where they have Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford, Bobby Wagner. They do not have a bunch of just high-end, high-end talent. They do have Jeffrey Simmons. They do have Kevin Byard. But to me, it's inexcusable that they could not find a way to pay A.J. Brown and build your offense around him. I don't know what you're doing. And the pressure is on Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing. It's going to be tough, obviously. They got rid of A.J. Brown. They brought in Traylon Burks. Um, We both love Robert Woods. There will be no Robert Woods slander on this show. We both are big fans of Robert Woods, but you mentioned the injury. It's hard to really make the argument that he's any kind of upgrade. And we were both skeptical about the prospect of Traylon Burks in the NFL. I feel like it's almost more realistic that Robert Woods is their number one wide receiver to start the year just because he's old reliable. And if he's healthy enough, he can probably do it. I think Traylon Burks is going to take some time to get ready for the NFL. And man, I love Robert Woods, but to go from AJ Brown to Robert Woods is just good luck to you Titans. And then other bad news for the Titans is their offensive line was not good last year. They have some names. Taylor Luan at one point in time was considered one of the better tackles in the league, but he has not been the same player since returning from a knee injury. They were really, really bad in pass protection last year, and they have not done anything to replace Roger Saffold, who was a pro bowler last year. They do have some in-house candidates. Dylan Radnus was a guy they drafted two years ago. Um, he's probably the favorite to slide into left guard. Uh, Nicholas Petit Freer is a guy that probably is going to slide into right tackle to replace Quisenberry, who did not play well for the Titans last year. Um, so they have some in-house options, but you have an aging quarterback behind an offensive line that can't pass protect and no weapons when you're talking about your two best pass catchers right now, proven wise being Robert Woods and Austin Hooper. I don't understand what they're trying to do when it seems like the rest of the AFC is loading up and you have the number one seed. I don't want to say they're throwing in the towel because I don't think that's the case. I think they're probably still the favorite or at least co-favorite in the AFC South. I'd probably pick the Colts to beat them, but I don't understand the plan. And Luca, one thing I found very interesting about the Titans is I know you're a fantasy football player. I know you're in a fantasy football league with some friends, and I know you probably know somebody who has this strategy. The guy who always tries to be the smartest guy in the room and draft the people with baggage. So like the year Le'Veon Bell was going to hold out, the guy who drafts Le'Veon Bell. This year, maybe the guy who drafts Deshaun Watson, um, Travis Etienne coming off of an injury. And then they kind of look around the room like, hey, that was pretty sly, right? And then every once in a while, it works out for her and you look like a genius. And then otherwise, it's like, hey, that seemed like that was a wasted pick and you set it on fire. The Titans are that guy with their real life draft picks. In 2021, they drafted Caleb Farley, 22nd overall. I love Caleb Farley as a prospect, but he had multiple back injuries and was a huge medical red flag. In 2020, they drafted Isaiah Wilson, 29th overall, who had a laundry list of character concerns, and he's already out of the league. In the second round, they drafted Christian Fulton out of LSU, who was suspended in college for a year for falsifying a drug test. Again, another player I really liked, but you're just rolling the dice. 2019, Jeffrey Simmons drafted 19th overall, had a huge list of character concerns. Hey, when you hit the lottery, sometimes you get a Jeffrey Simmons at 19th overall. He comes to your elite team, and you've got one of the best defensive players in the league with the 19th pick in the draft. And you clap your hands, and you pat everybody on the back of the organization. And you're like, hey, we, we just won that draft. 
And then in 2020, you roll the dice and you draft a tackle in the first round who never plays for your team and can't make another NFL roster. And then in 2021, you draft a cornerback with multiple injuries and he can't stay on the field for you. And he winds up tearing his ACL, unfortunately, against the Bills and doesn't see the field again. I want my team to take chances, Luca. I want my team to be aggressive. But the Titans approach in the draft feels borderline reckless. And I kind of want to throw the trading AJ Brown for Traylon Burke's decision into that mix of, man, you guys are some dice rollers. Yeah. There's, it's one thing to make an aggressive move or roll the dice as you put it there. Um, once in a while, we'll call it, you know, educated or, you know, calculated to do it on a regular basis is borderline reckless. That's, that's, that's the guy who keeps buying in at the casino table because they're eventually going to hit. They're eventually going to, you know, get on a heater, things like that. It's like, you can't do that. Or they had beginner's luck. You know, we'll put it as the Jeffrey Simmons pick there. They had beginner's luck. And then next thing you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to keep going in, keep going in the next visit and the next visit. And all of a sudden, the winnings that they got that first time just became a net loss because after you just bought back in three more visits afterwards, you're at a net loss of $1,000. It's like what you can't just constantly live on the edge like that or take that risk. Like sometimes in the draft, for instance, as we're talking about here, the safe pick the what makes too much sense pick is the right thing to do or in the sense of as you like to lump aj brown into this you you were absolutely a hundred percent spot on aj brown is a pure example of what everyone wants that second round pick that all of a sudden becomes the borderline superstar and you have the opportunity to kind of lock him in now there's the unfortunate circumstance of the wide receiver market at the time of paying him exploding thanks to a reckless team such as the Jacksonville Jaguars. But regardless, you kind of already got your money's worth in him in his rookie contract and then what he was able to produce for you. Now you're paying it forward a little bit and you never really should pay a player for what they did. You pay pay them for what you expect of them. But it's pretty safe to say that you would expect that same level play for the next four or five years out of AJ Brown, barring serious injury. And the fact that they just went, ah, screw it. We'll go get a guy that has a comp similar to AJ Brown as a ceiling in the first round with the pick that we acquire from him, just because we don't want to pay him, you know, 25 million or whatever it, I, I want to say it was like 28 million um, that the Eagles then eventually paid him just because of that. It's, I don't know, man. I, I just don't get it. As you put it, like this does kind of seem like a team that's like, hey, we know we're decent, but also like it might not be there right now. The the Colts in the division just acquired Matt Ryan. And you would think between that and Jonathan Taylor and everything else, I'm I'm with you. And I'm honestly a little bit more strong with the Colts. This is the Colts division to lose, to be honest. On paper, they look like the team that's going to be the one to beat in that division. Um, and then you look around the AFC as a whole, like they don't have a Josh Allen. They don't have a Patrick Mahomes. They don't have a Justin Herbert. They don't have, I mean, like the AFC is just stacked and it's kind of like they're now in that awkward si- situation where it's, um, they got to kind of wait it out. They got, they got to kind of just be like, all right, I mean, there's going to be this huge thing and now you got to wait for the chargers to have to pay Herbert and you're going to have to wait for maybe the bills to kind of progress downwards if that ever comes. 
Um, you're going to have to wait for the chiefs to maybe continually, I don't know, like they're going to have to keep paying all the ridiculous money that they are with Mahomes. You're hoping and banking that they're not going to be able to do everything else after watching them trade Tyreek, things like that. Like maybe in a couple of years, they can build on a couple of different things, get it back going again. And hopefully, you know, Derrick Henry's great. That's the other part of this. Hopefully Derrick Henry's great. As we know with running backs, that's not normally the case. And Derrick Henry in a couple of years could be so banged up that he could barely run. You never know. And if Derrick Henry's out of this offense, I mean, just scrap it entirely. The, as I brought up before, this this offense runs through 22. It runs through the king. I mean, if you don't have Derrick Henry in this offense, Ryan Tannehill can't exist. Now, that would be where Malik Willis could hopefully step in and maybe transform the offense into something different. But then as you brought up, Robert Woods is the number one receiver, we'll say here, or in two years, maybe Traylon Burks becomes pretty damn good. It's like that's the only thing you're giving him beyond him using himself. And I just I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. It's kind of like they're going to go through the motions. They're going to accept whatever happens to them. And that's okay. And that's silly to me. Yeah, if I'm a fan of a team, I'd rather them get busy living or get busy dying because the way the the AFC is, uh, you're not going to wait out anybody. Like Josh Allen is not going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere. Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, uh, Trevor Lawrence, if you want to throw him in there. you know. Well, Lamar, Lamar could be going somewhere. He, he might be going somewhere based on his social media. But there's just so many young quarterbacks. I applaud them for taking the shot on Malik Willis. I would love for my team to do that if I'm in the position of the Tennessee Titans. Like, hey, here's this quarterback with all world talent. Like, don't draft Matt Corral. I'm sorry, Luke. I don't want to. Let me pick a different example. I know you're a Matt Corral fan. <laughs> Don't draft. Um, I'm trying to think of a of a good example of a quarterback that you just. I hate when quarterbacks draft somebody looking to be the next Chase Daniel. You know what I mean? Like Jake oh. Fromm. Like, oh, yeah. he's a winner. No, you can find winners on the free agent market anytime you want to. The Bills signed Matt Barkley for peanuts this offseason. I guess he. I was would a, say that's Kenny Pickett, but you know. Yeah, I would um, say the same thing. Um, but if you're going to take a quarterback in the third round of the draft, I want it to be like Malik Willis, who has uncoachable athletic traits and he doesn't have to be on the field right away. He can learn behind Ryan Tannehill, although Tannehill doesn't seem like he wants to be much of a mentor. And, and you never know. You have a shot. And hopefully for the Tennessee Titans fans sake, if this season goes a certain direction, which we think is certainly within the realistic possibilities for them. They lose enough games. Maybe Malik Willis gets on the field and you have a bit of an answer on him prior to next offseason when you may want to make an aggressive move after one of the quarterbacks in that draft. But for now, I don't know what the Titans are really clinging to. And it's weird because we're talking about a team that was the one seed last year in the AFC and an AFC that had Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and all these great quarterbacks we kept talking about. And the Titans were the one seed and they beat the Chiefs and beat the Bills in the regular season. And they dominated the Bengals in that playoff game, but they just couldn't get a play from their quarterback. One play from Ryan Tannehill would have won that game. That's all it would have taken. He just could not make a play. And that's where, to me, the lack of an elite quarterback really shows up. You saw it with the Niners against the Rams, where Jimmy G just bit them in the butt at the end of the game. You need that elite quarterback, and Ryan Tannehill is not that the Titans, to me, are a very fascinating team. And Luca, I thought you hit the nail on the head when it came to Colts versus Titans because 
I will tell you right now, first place schedule, be damned. To me, if it was the Colts coming to Buffalo week number two, this schedule would look a lot tougher than it does right now. I think the Titans could come to Buffalo and beat the Bills. I am not worried about that game. If it was Bills opening up at Rams and then coming home to play Indy with Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor, ooh, that'd be a little scary. Yeah, no, that would be uh, much more frightening for sure. All right. Well, Luca, we have one more team to talk about, and it is the team that unfortunately has ended the Bills seasons two years in a row. They are probably the gold standard in the NFL right now as far as consistency goes. They are the Kansas City Chiefs, much like the Rams and the Titans in 2021. The Chiefs finished 12 and 5. That was good for the two seed in the AFC. Weirdly enough, Patrick Mahomes was drafted in 2017, has made the playoffs every year as a starting quarterback, but has yet to play a road game in his playoff career. Andy Reid, in his nine years in Kansas City, has an obnoxious 103 and 42 record, 71 win percentage. Just silly good. He's made the playoffs seven times in nine years. He's been to the conference championship three times, been to the Super Bowl twice. They won the Super Bowl in 2019 when the Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers. The general manager is Brett Veach. He's been there since 2017. Luca, one thing that's interesting about the Chiefs to me is while the conversation is always similar to the Bills of, hey, the Bills are going to lose Dable or they could lose Frazier and it's, hey, the Chiefs could lose Eric Bieniemy, and they, I guess they could lose Steve Pagnola, although maybe he's a little bit too much of a retread at this point. That hasn't happened, and they've had continuity in their in their coaching unit. Like Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator since 2018, and it's just wild to think that as good as Patrick Mahomes has been, as good as that offense has been, that they've been able to hold on to the same offensive coordinator since 2018, and Steve Spagnuolo has been there since 2019. Obviously, everything with the Chiefs starts with that guy, Patrick Mahomes, who I am worried is becoming Josh Allen's BFF this offseason. They are getting along very well, kind of cool to see, but also it's like, I don't like that guy still drafted in 2017 with a pick that was originally owned by the Buffalo Bills. They traded back in that draft and selected Tredavious White. Um, Josh Allen ascending to a superstar has made it a lot easier to get over the fact that the Bills passed on Patrick Mahomes, although at some point they have to stop having their season end against Patrick Mahomes in 2021. No surprise by these numbers at all. The Chiefs offense ranked third in the NFL and their defense ranked 27th. All right, just some highlights from this offseason. One thing that's really weighing down their, their salary cap right now is Orlando Brown, a tackle they traded a first round pick for last year from Baltimore, is currently on the franchise tag and they're having a really hard time working out a long-term deal with him. So that is weighing down their salary cap. And right now there's concern that he may not report to camp. It sounds like he's probably going to be there. There seems to be some optimism among the beat writers that something gets done before camp starts. But right now there is no movement on an Orlando Brown extension. And that's really making it tough for the um, the Bills, for the Chiefs to uh, replace the pass rush that they lost when they lost Melvin Ingram this offseason. Melvin Ingram was a guy that by reading some chief stuff this week, it turned out that they thought they were going to be able to bring back at a fairly affordable pr- price. That did not pan out. He ended up going to the Miami Dolphins. And the Chiefs are left now with Frank Clark, who's having some weight issues this offseason and had a down year last year. And rookie George Karloftis, who they drafted in the first round. 
And the biggest concern from everything I read on the Chiefs today was on their pass rush. In the draft, they got a guy Luca and I were very high on. We did mention George Karloftis, but they got a cornerback, Trent McDuffie, traded up to get him. That's going to be a home run pick in my opinion, but they'd lost Traverius Ward. And what's weird about that is Ward has been kind of like a steady Eddie similar, as we mentioned to a guy on the Rams earlier, um, where they just could count on him. And the Chiefs, because they had some salary cap issues, could not get in on players like Stefan Gilmore and Casey Hayward. Um, they have Rashad Fenton coming back, but he's coming off of an injury. They also lost Honey Badger this offseason, and I think that's going to be a big loss we'll talk about in a little bit. But the biggest one, Luke, and this is where I'm going to kick it to you, they elected to trade Tyreek Hill, and they replaced him with a group of wide receivers who all have something, but none of that something adds up to what Tyreek Hill does. It's names like Juju Smith-Schuster, Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and they drafted Sky Moore. They obviously have McCall Hardman in-house. Um, but the Chiefs lost to me, the catalyst of their offense outside of Mahomes, the scariest thing on their offense, all due respect to Travis Kelsey. To me, it makes them considerably less scary on offense. And uh, I was thrilled to see Tyreek Hill go. We're going to get into some of the other losses the Chiefs had. I think this is another team that when you look under the hood, it's kind of like, oh, they have Mahomes, they have Kelsey, they have Andy Reid, they'll probably be fine. Look under the hood and I'm like, man, this roster kind of average. Um, all right, Luca, high level. What are your thoughts on the Chiefs? Yeah, the Tyreek thing is unavoidable when it comes to the topic of conversation because <sighs> Tyreek is the most dangerous offensive weapon in the NFL. I I, it, I find it very hard to make an argument for anyone else. I know there's other players that people would say are even the better wide receiver than Tyreek Hill in the NFL. I just think the Specific abilities that make Tyreek elite in this league are the one thing. It's it's something that you realistically cannot coach. It's not his elite route running. It's not his you know quick hands and unbelievable catch radius and stuff like that. It is just the fact that he is the fastest son of a bitch out there, and you can't coach that. There's nothing you can do about it. He is just the most dangerous weapon in the league. They go and trade it because clearly his head was all about money. And that's, again, thanks to the Jags. And in this sense, I was very thankful that the Jags did such a thing to then put the idea in Tyreek's head that he should be getting an insane amount of money and the Chiefs just did not want to pay him that. Thank you, Jacksonville Jaguars. And thank you, Christian Kirk. You got your bag and it got Tyreek out of Kansas City. I will happily give you all the props for that. Beyond that, I actually think Tyron Matthew, although they did something by signing Justin Reed, I believe it, it was. Yeah, uh, I like him. I like that. I think that might be a sneaky good thing for them to kind of disguise the loss of Tyron Matthew and the Honey Badger leaving and going home to New Orleans, which I'm actually really excited about. Big Tyron Matthew person over here. Um, but he was voted by the team as the team's MVP. And there's many, many reasons for that. And I think that's going to be huge for their defense and the loss that that will be. They have Trent McDuffie. We had just brought up Justin Reed, things like that, but their defense is underwhelming. It didn't perform great, even with Tyron Matthew last year. And I just don't see how it even tries to improve from there unless they just, I don't know, 
change up something entirely different scheme wise and figure out a whole new defense to run and no one knows what the hell's going on. I, I don't see it improving. I don't know how they're going to be able to finagle that one. Um, and then going back to the offense, Tyreek aside, bringing in Marquez vet, I'm just going to call him MVS cause I'm not going to be able to pronunciate names tonight. Getting Juju, MVS, drafting Sky Moore. You still have Josh Gordon there. I mean, maybe he can pull a rabbit out of his ass and figure out how he was, what he was in Cleveland before all the suspensions. I don't know how they figure that out on offense. I don't know. You're not going to be able to blow up the top like Tyreek would do. So you're really going to have to like have elite level receiving. Otherwise, at the top, you know, you're you're intermediate to 20 to 25, 30 yards. You're going to have to get open. And I, I don't know. I felt like the chiefs always were able to get away with certain things just because reek had that ability to create the space and blow off the top. So consistently just due to his raw speed that it just disguised a couple of the, you know, I don't want to call them problems, but just disguise some of the lack of, I don't even know. Just it disguised a lot of problems. We're gonna call it just because I don't have a better word. It's not actually a problems or big, you know, red flags, but just sometimes like they became stagnant and just nothing was going on with this offense. And then boom, Tyreek just rips off a 62 yard play just because he's Tyreek Hill. And all of a sudden, like it backed off the defense and everyone just kind of got shook. And there's Travis Kelsey just doing his thing, work in the middle and everything like that. Like, that's just kind of how that offense worked. Now you just completely eliminate the uh, get out of jail free card. That is Tyree kill. And what are, how are you going to replace that production with this entire group of receiving core? I, Michael Hardman, I feel like they want him so bad to be the poor man's Tyree kill, but year in year out, he proves that he just can't be that because no one is Tyree kill. And he's going to be far from that. And, Obviously, MVS and Juju and Sky Moore and all these guys, they're not going to really, you know, touch Tyreek's feet when it comes to that kind of ability. So I, I don't know. I'm very confused. I'm very confused. I'm, I'm Patrick Mahomes can elevate everything around him. And Patrick Mahomes is, of course, Mahomes. And he is just an unbelievable talent. He's going to be an elite top tier quarterback in this league for a long time and be able to bring the absolute most out of everyone around him. It's just unfortunately, as you just put out, it's a pretty average, maybe above average roster. I mean, head to toe, like I, I just CEH is honestly very, very underwhelming. They signed Ronald Jones. Jarek McKinnon came back like that's your backfield. Nothing noteworthy to me. MVS, Meikle Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, Josh Gordon, Sky Moore, uh, and then a bunch of random bumps kind of behind it, them there. The receiving core is kind of like, it's a bunch of bodies. It's just, you're going to cycle them in, you know, see what you get. Hopefully someone catches a hot hand uh, every night kind of deal. Um, it, their offensive line is nothing special. I mean, Orlando Brown, as you brought up his whole situation, obviously he's a decent left tackle, but then kind of their offensive line is nothing special and kind of a little underwhelming, to be honest, when it comes to an elite team. And when you think of the Kansas City you know, chiefs. And did you, by the way, um, say they went to three straight conference championships? Cause it was four, mm, three uh, conference championship appearances. In- okay. They, they've four straight. It's four straight. Okay. Whoopsie. Straight. Yeah. Sorry. It just like popped in my head randomly. Yeah. You're right. I, I, they lost like, to the Patriots. Yeah. Right. 
lost to the Patriots, won the Super Bowl, lost the Super Bowl, lost to the Bengals. Like Andy Reid's done that twice. He's gone to four straight with the Eagles, gone to four straight with the Chiefs. Insane. Whoopsie um, daisy. <laughs> no, you're good. It just like I was looking at my notes real quick and spotted that not to get off my tangent. Such here. consistency though, it's impressive. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so like going back to it though, with that offensive line and going to four straight conference championships, you look at this offensive line and it's like they can get got. And obviously against the Bucks in the Super Bowl, we saw it. I mean, kind of even it just they weren't really able to do much or hold up a lot when it came to uh the Bengals, which it's not like the Bengals had studs on the defensive line. They weren't able to really move bodies around there. So then it's just Travis Kelsey. And him just trying to do his thing on his own. Like it's going to be Mahomes and Kelsey solo show. And hopefully you get a hot handout wide now. Uh, I don't see how that works. And again, just to wrap it in a bow here, the defense is underwhelming. I don't mind Karlaftis. I just don't think he's going to provide the pass rush you hope. Um, I'm amazed that they're going to still keep trying Chris Jones inside. Like just it does. It did not really work. I don't know what they're doing with that. I don't get it. Like bring him back outside especially if Frank Clark's not working. Just if Chris Jones is very ineffective inside. Like his, his numbers are staggeringly bad inside. And then he's actually effective and can do more on the outside or I, I don't get, I don't get the whole Chris Jones situation in Kansas city. I just do not understand it, but it is what it is. They want to do their thing. I, it's weird to say that I expect Kansas city to kind of take a half step backwards because I say that, and yet they're still going to be one of the biggest threats because it's still Patrick Mahomes. But I feel like that's kind of what it is. I am always going to be somewhat scared of Kansas City because of Patrick Mahomes. It's just I have no idea what to expect out of this team because there was a lot of turnover, surprisingly, from a very good team for the past four seasons now. And you really don't know what you're going to get out of it. But on paper, pretty underwhelming outside of number 15 and I'll even lump in 87 and Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey is still a guy. I mean, there's a reason that in the fantasy world, it's like, is Travis Kelsey a first round pick? It's like, well, volume wise, he might be in a one quarterback league because Tyreek's gone now. Who else are you going to be throwing the ball to regularly? So it's an interesting team, an interesting season that they have ahead. And honestly, in a weird way, I'm very intrigued to get to the week six matchup that the Bills have because I want to see what they're trying to do. I just don't even know what they're trying to accomplish. So it's weird that you look at a team that had the 27th ranked defense last year, and I think they actually got markedly worse on defense. They did lose Melvin Ingram that we mentioned. Traverius Ward is a big loss for them. I really like Snead, their cornerback. I also really like McDuffie as a prospect. He is a rookie. We have to keep that in mind. I don't trust any of their depth after that. I know Rashawn Fitton's had some good moments in the league, but I don't know that he's any kind of steady Eddie when it comes to being a good nickelback and he's been hurt. And I think that a team like the Bills, who can spread you out in 11 personnel, can really expose that, particularly with a team that I don't think is going to be able to generate a pass rush. Frank Clark, to me, is past his prime, not a dominant player anymore. Um, in a lot of ways, that reminds me of... When the Bills took Greg Rousseau, if the Bills had said, hey, we're going to take Greg Rousseau and dude, we need you to play 90% of the snaps and you better get it done because you're all we have. That's what they're doing with George Karloftis. He has to play for them because they don't have anybody else. Now, look, they could go out there and make a move on a guy like a Carlos Dunlap. I think they probably thought they're going to keep Melvin Ingram. Um, But to me, when you look at this Chiefs team, 
They have Chris Jones, who you mentioned is really good, um, but I don't know who on the defense you have to game plan for at this point outside of Chris Jones. Who scares you? Who, when it's fourth down and you need 10 yards, are you really scared is like going to really bust up your offense? And especially when you have a secondary that is something you can take advantage of when you spread them out. The honey badger point, I think, is also worth mentioning. We both like Justin Reed, but on a team that is admittedly built on their offense and they just need their defense to make plays here and there when asked to, a guy like Honey Badger plays so much above his even skill level because of who he is, how smart he is, how much everybody around him believes in him, and they just miss a lot of that glue with a guy like that. On a defense that's going to be average to below average, you need somebody you can count on that rock on your defense. And while we like Justin Reed as a player, he is not the person that Honey Badger is. There's not many of those guys that you just feel like when the game's on the line, he's going to find a way somehow, some way to make that game-changing play. Um, they don't have that right now. Maybe one of the young players develops into that. Maybe Trent McDuffie becomes that right out of the box, and, and we're all thinking, hey, the Chiefs had a home run with this draft. They certainly have the opportunity to. If Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis come out and hit the ground running, this defense can go from bad to average pretty quickly, and that's more than enough even without Tyreek Hill. But looking at this roster from the outside, I got to tell you, like outside of Mahomes and Kelsey, I don't love a lot about it. I, I don't really like a lot about it. I think this, uh, this roster is probably average at best one to 53. It just so happens that their one is better than everybody else's one in the entire league. Um, but when you also talk about their offensive line, um, yes, they hit a home run last year in the draft with their two interior offensive linemen, Smith and Humphrey, that those, that draft is going to be a foundational draft for them on the interior, but they do have some tackle issues, particularly on the right side. And I do wonder, Luca, how much Mahomes masks their issues, similar to what I think Josh Allen does for the bills at times with his ability to escape pressure. Thinking back to that divisional round game, um, the bills got pressure on Mahomes quite a bit, but he just escaped it like the magician he is. And then he, they weren't able to escape when Trey Hendrickson and the Bengals were getting all over him in the conference championship game. I do wonder without having Tyreek Hill, if that's also going to almost have a domino effect on the offensive line, because he's a guy that when Mahomes is doing those scramble drills, knows how to read Mahomes, much like Kelsey does, and can be that fail safe. And you lose that drawed up in the dirt player with Tyreek Hill. Can someone like a Juju or a Scantling catch on quick enough to where they can be that outlet for Mahomes when things hit the fan and Mahomes has to kind of make it up as he goes? Because he is excellent at that. He's one of the best in the league at that, but he lost one of his primary, primary receivers. Um, I don't know, Luca. I, I feel like the Chiefs are another team just like the Titans where you saw the Chargers load up with Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. You saw the Bills load up with Von Miller. I mean, shoot, you saw the Dolphins load up with Tyreek Hill and Melvin Ingram. You saw the Browns, for what it's worth, load up with Deshaun Watson. They brought back Jadavion Clowney. And to me, the Chiefs, they did not take a step forward, in my opinion. Maybe they set themselves up better for the future. They're certainly set up better for the future than I think the Rams are. But I don't see how this is maximizing the window that Patrick Mahomes is currently in. I'm a little bit confused by this, but I also understand it's a salary cap league. You can't pay everybody. And if you are worried about Tyreek Hill, either from a personal standpoint 
or from an aging standpoint, then it was the right time to make the move because they did get a lot of assets for him. But in general, Luca, um, I feel like the Chiefs are just not as scary as a team as last year. But man, I have seen enough of Arrowhead. As if Mahomes is on the field and the game's at Arrowhead, it's going to be a tough game. We just need to make Mahomes play a damn playoff game on the road. For the love of God, just like I'm so happy that the AFC West really bulked up. I mean, you brought up the Chargers just there. I mean, you brought up earlier that Russell Wilson's now in Denver. Um, I mean, the Raiders, man, like I know I've talked off air with you. There is something about this Raiders team that <laughs> there's a sneaky little. Th- I, I've put a little sprinkle bet on them to win the division just because I mean, you bring in Devonte Adams, you know, just that guy to be a nice number one target for Derek Carr. And then Max Crosby looks like a stud. So what do you do in a division full of nice stud quarterbacks? Let's just make sure that pass rush is extra good and go out and convince Chandler Jones to come on and be opposite of Max Crosby. How's that work? Maybe that'll disguise our deficiencies in the backfield or in the secondary, I should say. It's like, yeah, probably will. It'll probably do a damn good job because Chandler Jones was doing that for his entire career in Arizona. And they actually were luckily enough to have a shutdown corner on one side to maybe help that as well. But regardless, Chandler Jones was a big, big part of what they were able to do when they were an elite defense year in, year out. So all of that happening around them. And as you've pointed out, the Chiefs haven't really done anything of super note to really bulk bolster up and get back at it and stuff. I I'm with you. I, I don't I don't understand when you're trying to maximize Mahomes' window. The one thing I will say is Mahomes window is pretty big. He seems like a guy that's, I mean, he's definitely not going away anytime soon. His ability to improvise and stuff might eventually go away, but elite, elite quarterbacks don't just dwindle. They don't just, or at least they definitely don't fall off a shelf. They, they slowly, but like a fine wine, evolve their game into whatever will be able to maximize their abilities and still get absolute elite production out of them that's just what elite quarterbacks do everyone thought you know or at least bill belichick thought tom brady was going to be done and dusted and here he is he's still on possibly the best team in the nfc and doing his thing and everyone's you know got him some people have him as a top five quarterback in this league still it's that's elite quarterbacks stay elite for a long time because they are very elite at what they do it's just always it just changes how they do things sometimes um, but yeah, I, I don't think I'm, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. I don't think I'm as down on the roster as you, but I'm not also above, like, I don't think it's exceptional as well either. This is just going to be, I do think that finally, finally we will, I'll just wrap it up with this. I do think we're finally going to see Kansas city have to play a road playoff game with the combination of what we just talked about with their division. And then just them not really making that step forward within their own roster. Finally, they're not going to win their own division for once. And they're going to have to learn that tough little road that's known as a wild card spot and see how it goes with Mahomes, not at Arrowhead. And it's going to be a beautiful thing to watch. You have a team that has a below average pass rush. They have okay corners, not great, certainly not a lot of depth. And they have an offensive line issue on the right side. And now you're talking about they have to block Khalil Mack and Bosa. They have to block Crosby and Jones. They have to cover 
Renfro, Adams, and Waller. They have to cover the guys in Denver. They have to cover Williams and Allen. And they're going against quarterbacks that aren't Patrick Mahomes, but aren't exactly like the 20th best quarterbacks in football. Derek Carr can pick apart your defense if your defense can't get a pass rush. Justin Herbert doesn't even need your defense not to get a pass rush. He can do a lot of Mahomesy and Josh Allen stuff on his own. I think the Chiefs are at risk of losing two, three, four division games this year just because of how the other teams match up with them. I hope I'm right. I'm tired of the Chiefs. I also don't want it to see the Chiefs in the playoffs, even if it's in Buffalo. I just want them out of the way. Um, it's going to be interesting. And Luca, we have talked about the Rams. We've talked about the Titans. We've talked about the Chiefs. All three of these games are very early in the season for the Bills. The, they play the Rams week one in L.A. Week two, they play the Titans in Buffalo. And then they come back week six and play the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Hopefully it's the last time we're in Arrowhead for a long, long time. All right, Luca, the most important question of the podcast. We've gone through these three rosters. We've talked about these three organizations, the plans going forward, what the outlook is. What is an acceptable record for the Bills in these three games, in your opinion? Two and one. Uh, two and one is very acceptable. And I mean, my only like, hey, we better win this damn game is the Monday night home opener against the Titans. Yeah. The other two, um, I might be much more confident in a win in one than the other, I will say, uh, which is funny because you would think that would be against the Chiefs, but no, I'm actually more confident in us against the Rams. But I will say I'll take uh, you know one of two out of those. And I, I put it kind of in a similar circumstance as what we've brought up, especially we talked about last season in a similar way with the chiefs and then what was the Titans. And it was like, Hey, going into these games, would you take winning one of those two? And it's like, absolutely. Now what we expected to win and what we expected to lose was actually reverse, but overall that's kind of what's acceptable. So if the, if the question, which it is, what you said is acceptable two and one and say, losing to either the Rams or the chiefs, absolutely. Okay. With it. I have no qualms, no problems. Hey, both, both those games are on the road, both in tough spots against good teams. Now, yeah. good teams in quotes, because as we just discussed with the Chiefs, it's kind of good quarterback or God quarterback with OK team. But, you know, regardless, the quarterback is the most important player on the field. And well, when you have the best one in the league or questionably the best one in the league, I'm going to step in there and say, you know, 17's got something to say about that. Um it's it's always going to keep you in a game. You're always going to be competitive. You're always going to be elite. You'll always be a contender. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning back in the day, when you have that guy, it doesn't matter who the hell's around it. You're always going to be in it. You're always going to be that contending team. And that's just how it works. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll wrap it there real quick, though. Two and one, absolutely acceptable. Expectation actually also is two and one for me. Um it's so hard for me to see us getting through week six and we won all three of these games. And I think we come out hot. So I think when we go to Arrowhead in week six, I will say, I do think that we might slip up a little bit. It's, it's a tough stretch there. When you really think about it, we have to go to Baltimore week four, you come back to play the Steelers and then you have to go to Arrowhead and play at a four twenty five at Arrowhead. That's, that's a tough little bounce there just because going to Baltimore with a motivated Lamar, most likely 
then you have a little bit of a break and you have to go to Arrowhead. That's those are two very, very tough road games. And, you know, yeah, out of these three, I'll 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 accept that we most likely we could lose to an arrowhead. But if we come out hot and say we beat the Rams and then we beat the Titans and we start two and oh, it'll be very easy to swallow that loss to the Chiefs, especially because the, the other point, too, is as you brought up within that division, it's not uncomprehensible to see them losing three, four games in the division. It's like last year they were going to beat the Broncos both times. Um, Chargers were good, but they kind of chargered themselves in one game. And then the, the Raiders were still a decent team, but they were a little more conservative, a little more within their own means. They didn't necessarily have what you thought could put them over the top, but they could get them on any day. Um, now it's really everyone's with par with each other in that division now in a, in a way, you know, the Broncos, I think the defense might let them down a little bit more than some people might realize, but. Other than that, man, I mean, it's still Russell Wilson. Magic can happen with there. So, yeah, if they lose four games in the division, even if we lose to the Chiefs, I would still like our chances to have a better record than the Chiefs so that, you know, push comes to shove. If we do have to face them in the playoffs, hopefully we have that better record. Hopefully we're the one seed at that point, to be honest. But hopefully we have the better record than Kansas City where we don't have to go back to Arrowhead, as you said, for a very, very long time. Yeah, I think two and one is is where right where I'm at too. Like obviously we all want three and oh. I think the Bills could be favored in all three of these games, and then maybe they are gonna be favored in all three of these games. Um, but two and one, I would sign for that right now. Um, you know, say what you want to about the Titans. I think I agree with you. That's the game that the Bills almost have to win. But you're talking about playing the Super Bowl champions in their building on the night that they hang the banner, and then you're talking about playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead with Patrick Mahomes. We assume everybody's gonna be healthy. So, you know, none of this is easy. I think two and one would be a great job by the Bills. And if they could happen to go three and oh, we've talked about this schedule, get into it more as the season gets a little closer. Uh, But the Bills schedule to me is very much like the Rams roster. It is front loaded. It is top heavy. If you can get through that first stretch of games with four or five wins, holy cow, can you make some hay in the second half? when the Jets and the Vikings and the Lions and the Bears and the Jets and on the Patriots a couple times start showing up, there's going to be a lot of room to grow for the Bills in the second half of the schedule. Quickly, Luca, if for some reason in some magical world, Case Keenum were forced to start these three games, what would be an acceptable record for you? Because I think I'm going to say one and two. I think if Case Keenum has to start these three games against these three teams, if he gets us one win, he's done his job. Acceptable. Yeah, I'm with you. One and two (laughs) expected. I honestly could see us going 0 and three in that circumstance. Unfortunately, this is not the nice part is it's early in the season. God forbid nothing too, too crazy happens to 17. And that is all this is, is silly speculation. But, um, yeah, I mean, one and two, if you're putting that worst case scenario on, on it here. Yeah, I would say 17 is what puts us over the top when it comes to the Rams and or Chiefs. Um, yeah, Case but, Keenum's not going to Arrowhead and beating Mahomes. If, if Case Keenum starts that game, just go golfing that day. Just <laughs> just go golfing. Enjoy yeah, it. That might, yeah, it's like it'll be on the main screen, but it's just like, ah, uh, I mean, it's it's just like when uh, 
what was it? Uh, Jordan Love for the Packers had to go play at Arrowhead. It's just like you're probably not going to have a lot of offensive production out of this game. Somehow they almost won that still, but regardless, it was exactly what you expected. It was like just a hard, hard watch. The thing um, about the Bills is, and I didn't mean to interrupt you here, is that oh, their, their roster, I feel so much better about the Bills after diving into these three teams because the Rams are almost universally considered one of the best teams in football. The Chiefs are almost universally considered one of the best teams in football, and the Titans were the one seed last year. And here we just spent the last hour and 40 minutes telling you about all these weaknesses in these rosters, why these rosters are fairly average. And then you look at the Bills roster, and I'm not even being a homer here. It is hard to find a weakness. Like, where are we at? If if one of our starting tackles goes down, we're not quite sure who's going to be the backup tackle. I mean, first world problems. The Bills do not have a weakness in their starting lineup. And that is just such a tough spot to be in in the NFL. And it just says how good of a job Brandon Bean has done with allocating resources to the important positions and making sure that the Bills are insulated at the key positions that are important to winning football games. And that's why, above anything else, I feel like the Bills with a Case Keenum, and when I say Case Keenum, I'm talking about you know a mid-level backup, a guy who would be a very low-end starter. Probably if you're going to rank the quarterbacks in the league 1 to 100, I think Case Keenum would come in somewhere in the high 30s to low 40s probably. Um, I think with this roster around him, could find a way to keep the bills in a certain kind of game. Like if the bills are going to come out and give up 35 points to the chiefs, case Keenum is not going to keep up. Just go enjoy your Sunday. Don't watch the game. If the bills defense comes out and plays like they're capable of playing with Von Miller and Poyer and Hyde and white and Elam Edmonds and Milano and Oliver, if they hold a team to 20, I think case Keenum with this offense could put up 21 points. So that's, that's why I have confidence in case Keenum. If he has to play, a stretch of games. Hopefully it never comes to that. We never see Case Keenum on the field outside of these four preseason games and 17 is there every single snap that matters this season. Well, Luca, it was fun to be back on the air. We went for almost two hours with this rivals watch. We are 11 days away from bills having their first training camp practice. And we are seven days away from our next rivals watch episode where we will be breaking down the AFC North. And if you thought this week's episode was fun, if you thought last week's episode, or not last week's, but last episode where we did the NFC North, you want to talk about four juicy teams that have had some really interesting off seasons. Uh, The Cleveland Browns, what they've done, Pittsburgh Steelers with what they've done post Big Ben. You got the Ravens coming off of a disappointing season. And then the Bengals, who, by the way, were in the Super Bowl, and it feels like half the world has already forgotten about that. I cannot wait Luca until next week to talk about this division. Yeah. Oh, it's just chock full of fun. It's yeah. It's, it's really funny that the representative of the AFC came out of that division and they are kind of the afterthought and it's, it's not fair to them. I'll just preview that real quick. And and I'm sure we will discuss that at length next week. Um, But yeah, there's, it's just chock full. And then, I mean, just, the cherry on top or it's a massive cherry is the Cleveland Browns being the Cleveland Browns and that I, hopefully we just don't go too long with them. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not because I mean, we, you've hinted to it before on an episode that there is a situation where these Browns could be really, really good 
and we will get into that next week. Among any other Bills topics that come up, we will be a stone's throw away from training camp opening up. We will talk about all and any Bills news that comes out in the next week or so. And we obviously don't want this episode to go by without wishing the best to Bills co-owner Kim Pagula, who has a private medical issue going on. The team released a statement that she is recovering well. Best wishes to Kim Bagula. I said Bill's co-owner. She's also the Sabres co-owner. Hopefully a speedy recovery there and all is well on that front. And we will see you next week on Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast when we dive into the AFC North. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already, at Bills Chat Pod. And also be sure to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform it is you choose to spend your time listening to us every week. Look forward to talking to you all again next time.